everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know this show. This is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I unpack their brain with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, hobby, and in life. My guest today is Dr. Nicole LaPera. If you're not familiar with her work, get ready because she is a powerhouse. She's traditionally trained in clinical psychology at Cornell, and after that training, found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy, wanting more for her patients and for herself. She began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual wellness. She kicked off uh, a little Instagram channel called the.holistic.psychology, and it went crazy. Some 3.4 million followers later, she has now expanded her work, her research. She's got a new book. And in this episode, we talk about a couple really important things like self-healing. We've all got trauma and we all need tools to manage that stuff. She talks about uh, how change, we all need change in our life. We all will experience change. In fact, that's one of the only constants and how important that is. And that discomfort, that unpleasant feeling that you have, maybe even right now, is required to move forward. She also gets us out of the conditioning that we have from our childhood, from different uh, experiences and the way that we tell ourselves stories from the past that have no bearing in the future. If you're like me and you were stuck at one point and you need some help, some um, some mojo, a kick in the butt to get unstuck and move on to the next chapter of your life where bigger, better things are there for you, this episode's for you. I'm going to get out of the way. We're going to talk about her new book too, How to Do the Work, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past, and Create Yourself. Dr. Nicole LaPera is here for you today. That book also, by the way, just hit number one. So you know it's good. I'm going to get out of the way. Dr. Nicole is here with you. Hey, before we get into the show, I got an announcement. My book, Creative Calling, is more than one year old right now, and it is still crushing. Thanks so much to the support from you, this community. And so I got two, two um, asks. One, if you do not have the book, my goodness. I would invite you to pick it up. Again, it's called Creative Calling, available anywhere books are sold. I put my entire life, all my experience around creativity, entrepreneurship, um, about pursuing your dreams, getting unstuck to do the things that we are put on this planet to do. So if you don't have a copy, please pick it up. And part two, if you do have a copy and right now you're going, yeah, yeah, I, I got it when you first wrote it, whatever, one year ago. Well, if you are in that camp, first of all, thank you. Second of all, it would mean a ton, as in the world to me, if you left a review at Amazon or wherever you picked up the book. I'm currently sitting at several hundred five-star reviews, which is really helpful for getting the message of the book. In fact, the message is my whole life. Creative Live, this podcast, um, the book it is all sewn together, and it would really, really help spread the word, the ideas, the vision that we have for this one precious life and this cool uh, position we find ourselves in being able to uh, not just feel like corks in the tide, but to create the life that we want for ourselves. So if that sounds like something you're into, I would love your support. And in the meantime, I'm going to get out of the way so you can get back to the show, but wanted to say thanks so much. Dr. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for having me, Chase. How many of these, like these fantabulous um, introductions have you had gotten to listen to over the course of the past three weeks as your book has basically charted like completely new territory and uh, all the way to the top of the charts? Has it been a fun ride? 
It's been quite a few. It's been a wild ride. Um, it's so interesting listening to intros because there are some days where I'm like, who, who are you talking about? <laughs> me? Um, there is still that part of me that has a hard time wrapping my head around all of this. Well, uh, I have been a fan of your work for a long time and have been very, very excited to when we line this up uh, shortly before your book launch. Um, and I have some ground that I want to cover. So I'd like to dive in. Um, and as you know, this is your show as much as it is mine. So if you if you want to take us in a direction, feel free. The people at home that are watching and listening, I'm seeing people tune in from literally all over the globe right there. Uh, Mexico, Ireland, we got UK, New Jersey, California, uh, Idaho. Uh, so to say we've got a global audience would be an understatement. Uh, but what I, one of the ways that I like to start the show is to go back at the beginning. I've seen you say, like, I had no idea even just a couple of years ago that I would write a book or that these, but clearly you were motivated to find some truth for yourself and to uh, pursue something that lit you up. Most people at home are watching and listening don't actually have that thing and they're seeking that. And so as someone who has clearly tapped into this special part of, uh, of a new chapter for you, how did you find that? How did you get your start? Uh, was it really obvious? And did you know when you were nine that you were going to be a holistic psychologist or help, help, uh, orient, uh, watchers and listeners around you and your story? Yeah, so there, there's a big part of me, even like I was saying, the fact that I'm sitting here speaking to you um, on a show, Creative Live, I never imagined myself, never resonated with the concept or the title of being a creator. Um, so very intuitively, for as long as I can remember, I had a fascination with people, uh, what made people similar to myself, what made people dissimilar to myself. Um, so before long, I was marching the pathway to become a clinical psychologist. Um, so one might say it came from a deeper space, but I wouldn't have described it, Chase, as lighting me up or as my passion or as my purpose. I actually have a very um, distinct memory of reading a book um, from Dr. Wayne Dyer, one of his first books. And I was mm -hmm. reading it several years ago before I began my own healing journey. And he himself was talking about being a clinical psychologist like myself. Um, so I resonated with that part, though he went on to share having an awareness of a deeper passion or purpose. Um, and then obviously shared his journey living into embodying that passion and that purpose. And when I was reading that book, I could not resonate at all with that second concept, this idea of passion and lighting me up. It just didn't feel like I had that chip. Um, so it's not something that was intuitive to me. And I now understand why. I think so many of us are are prevented or stuck um, not accessing our creative ability that I, like you, believe every human has from birth, um, because many of us are living in conditioned habits and patterns, um, most often embodied or formed in our childhood, um, keeping us stuck from accessing that, that state of consciousness, really. So I like to share my journey because I'm not someone who intuitively was like, this is my passion, my purpose. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Um, I was walking a journey and I felt really empty. Though I checked a lot of boxes, there was something missing. And it wasn't until, like I said, I really began to peel back my own onion. Um, and I discovered all of the layering of conditioning that was keeping me from accessing that that consciousness, that state of consciousness that allows us to, to be creative, really. Well, I'm going to pull a layer back or pull the covers back one, one notch here and say, you talked about conditioning. What were some of the conditioning 
what was some of the conditioning you experienced around what you should be, you know, cause that's part of what the people who are listening and watching right now, step one, I like to say is find the thing you're supposed to be doing and step two, do that thing. And then, mm-hmm. so in step one, part of what I find challenging my personal journey and to be fair, I was, I'm white male born in America. Like I basically have every privilege and discovering that and tuning out the noise of everyone else's conditioning being applied to me in my life and people who care deeply, right? Parents, career counselors, your your partners, friends, spouses. I found that to be so hard to tune out. I'm wondering what were some of the messages you received about what you ought to do with this one precious life and how did you then, was it just that one moment listening to Wayne Dyer or was there a series of basically unlearning or deprogramming this conditioning to be and become, you know, something off the list of these 10 items for you to be able to pursue the thing that has clearly now been transformative for you and the, the people, the millions of people who pay attention to your work? Yeah, as I began to peel back my own onion, um, what I began to see is a lot of that should messaging, um, though for me, it wasn't even direct. Um, so from childhood, um, in, when talking about what we're going to be when we get older, watching my parents, my dad and his career, um, there was a, 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 a somewhat of a message around, you know, having the stable career, having the nine to five that comes along with the paycheck. And it wasn't really a strong message, though. I was very much allowed to explore when I started talking about wanting to be a psychologist. My my family was very, very supportive. For me, I think what was keeping me more stuck was the indirect patterns, the indirect modes of being, ways of being that I began to embody. Um, growing up in a home where the stress was high, particularly around health issues, um, and having very limited support, emotional support, I began to associate with in my book, I talk about archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number one archetype that I resonate with is being the overachiever. Um, so I kind of channeled into achievement, into academic achievement, into into sporting achievement. Um, and that obviously led to my continuation of schooling and ultimately what I was doing when I got older. Though it wasn't messaging for me. Like I said, it was the, when I began to peel back my onion, I began to bear witness um, to all of the filters that I was running all of my decisions through. And my number one filter was how will this make others in my world feel? How will I affect them um, if I honor my want, my need, my desire, my passion? And what I came to find is I was so disconnected from that intuitive space that houses our passions because I was so disconnected, because I was filtering myself through others for so long. So I talk about that because I know so many of us can and have had those messages spoken to us, what we should or shouldn't do in terms of life that take us away from our passions. And others are like myself. It's not as direct. Um, again, it becomes our coping, our way of being that helped me at one time manage a very overwhelming environment that then led me further and further away from that internal knowing. Mm. Okay, this internal knowing, let's anchor on that because you've talked, you, you know, you've, you talked about it, uh, at length in your book, uh, specifically. And I do want to, I, I, in your intro, I talked briefly about it, but I have to pause for a second and say, y'all, you have to get the book, how to do the work. I uh, went straight to number one, the, the subtitle recognizing your patterns, healing from your past and create your best self on Mar- or create yourself. Sorry. Uh, you know, before we go any further now is when you should go, you know, click on the Amazon page and, uh, and pick it up. If you can do it with a local bookstore, even better. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but just I needed to get, get that out there because I'm going to start referencing that a lot here as we as we get in. Um, you talked about inner child archetypes. You've talked about um, conditioning. We mentioned in the book a lot trauma, but let's go back to uh, this idea of self healing because my my understanding of your work is that is sort of the macro anchor of your work. And if I'm misspeaking here or I've got it wrong, please correct me. But the idea of healing, uh, I know that, that at various times in my life, I didn't believe that I needed to heal, that I, I had everything going for me, the wind was at my back. But it was you know, over time when you start to look closely at your conditioning and something happens in your life and you realize that you're not happier. Uh, ultimately, I've come to believe that, that there's we all have a huge opportunity to do real work that can transform our lives. Why did you choose to couch it in sort of self healing as the co cornerstone for your practice, your book, and you know the the social followings where you've you've got millions of people uh, hooked? Why that? And uh, explain a little bit um, how you got there. I appreciate you sharing your your story with me and that awareness. And for me. Um, this idea of self-healing really came from, I believe, a need um, that so many of us have to to peel back those layers and to go back to the wisdom that we all have. I see a kind of global outsourcing um, of ourselves to other people, um, to outside external means to feel differently. Um, so what self-healing means to me is it puts the self um, as the person who knows, as the person who can pick the tools that work and or the tools that, that don't resonate. Um, so self-healing is, like I said, really going back because I, not like you, you know, didn't feel like I had to heal. Um, I actually had the experience of feeling like I couldn't heal, mm -hmm. um, that my genetics and my temperament and all of the things that I saw very similarly in my family um, of origin, I believe that I was, you know, destined in, in so many words to repeat those patterns because I was gifted with the genetics that would result in those symptoms um, and or it's just how we were as a family or as a unit. Um, so for me, I, I had a really internalized belief that I was limited in, in so many ways and it took me peeling back the layers, me really being being able to understand um, why I and many other people are stuck. Um, stuck is not our natural state of being. The symptoms that so many of us are living in cycles of is not our natural state of being. I believe our whole self is whole. Um, and as we begin to identify more with that deeper space, we begin to create choice. Um, choices where those older patterns don't have to dictate the life that I'm leaving, leading forward into. So self-healing really is about empowerment, um, mm -hmm. empowering me um, and my inner being as the holder of the knowledge um, from anything from what works for my body, my emotional system to the conversation that we're having. What is my purpose in life? Where am I going into the yeah. future? One more thread on that, that, that point of purpose and tapping into that, trusting that intuition. And again, just to, to uh, recognize some of the folks we've got, BC, Canada, Esparito, California, the Big Island K and is out there in Hawaii, Hardin, Montana, California, North Carolina, Michigan. We finally got the U.S. folks tuned in here. Uh, it's the most of the questions that I'm seeing are around this point of intuition. And I'll just use Eric's question as an example. 
if everyone has this creative spirit inside of them, is it necessary for people to find it? Like, is there something to find? That's a great question. I, I would describe it more as an uncovering. Uh, many of the patterns that we're living in, the stuckness that we're repeating is actually separate from that space. Um, we might be disconnected or dissociated like I have been. Again, we might be operating, playing roles in relationships and not really honoring our full self. So it's an uncovering more so, a conscious awareness of what it is. And then over time, an actualizing on that, a beginning to action based from that deeper place, as opposed to what many of us do instead, we action in a very repetitive way. We tend to think the same thoughts, feel the same way, and do the same thing upon those feelings without the conscious awareness, without choice, really. So I would say to that question, it's a more of an uncovering um, and allowing us, so when we choose to, to speak, to live, to embody that deeper knowing, as opposed to the patterns that many of us are living instead that are very reactive, I should add. Okay, let's let's. I'm gonna label that, and I may you, you correct my label if I miss it. But we're, just for now, let's can we call it conditioning? Yes, that's a great okay. label. Okay, <laughs> label and, I use often. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm trying to reflect some of your work back to you. But this, these are my takeaways, and I also live with a woman. My wife Kate is uh, a meditation and mindfulness teacher who comes largely from the Buddhist tradition at this, and you know, she has a phrase that she shares to me a lot, <laughs> which is, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that is this piece of conditioning. And what role do things like trauma, things like epigenetics and, you know, conscious awareness or lack thereof play in our conditioning? When we're not attentive, when we're not conscious, and I think now, depending on this, you know, whom you read, upwards of 80, 90% of our day, we're not operating from our conscious mind. It's actually a different part of our mind. It's located in the prefrontal cortex, where many, most of us are operating from is our, as I call it, our subconscious mind. And what's housed in, those, in that subconscious mind are, again, all of the habits and patterns that were often created very early in life. Um, and what is what is contained in there are often the imbalances, um, the dysregulated nervous system responses or reactions, and all of that, again, the coping tools that we formed at a time when we were much more limited. So as we're going about our day, and I would see this um, in my old practice when I was working very traditionally in talk therapy, week after week with ever-increasing insight, I would have sessions, beautiful sessions, where we'd be able to troubleshoot. Right. The next time this thing happens, I'm going to make a new choice. Yet week after week, what I would get reported to me from my clients is that actually didn't happen. Um, so with increasing disempowerment, frustration, um, these humans were still repeating these patterns no matter what the insight that they had was. And like I said, these patterns are very reactive. Um, there's very big emotions attached to them and often very immature, for lack of a better word, coping tools. The things that worked when we were much younger in much more often compromised environments that might not be fully serving us now. Um, so in there, again, for many of us are our traumas, are all of the ways, our best attempts at regulating our dysregulated nervous system, that if we're not conscious in our day-to-day -day life, that becomes our point of reactivity. So no amount of insight, and this is why I talk about in the field, CBT being the gold standard 
I have a whole chapter in my book called The Power of Belief, really stressing how important thoughts are. However, and the reason why I work holistically now, we have to include the body, the fact that so many of us have dysregulations, imbalances, our nervous systems are stuck in a state of fight, flight, or flee um, that are, again, stored in that subconscious and become our point of reactivity, no matter much, no matter how much conscious intention we set to do differently. That was one of the things that really hooked me into your work is this, the concept of self-healing, the concept of providing a set of tools and an awareness that transcends this, the typical, uh, I would say, um, talk therapy and the, the clinical uh, evaluation of these are, let's treat the symptoms versus your work seeming to be much deeper. And before we shift into you know, okay, acknowledging that we all have these problems and every, what everyone's just, I'm seeing in the comments is like, great, what do we do about it? Tell us the answer, which is the reason you wrote the book. So we're not going to reveal everything here, but you juxtaposed briefly in that last moment that you shared with us, the traditional practice, you, you cited the word talk therapy versus how you look at solving problems today. Do you consider that you left traditional practice? Did you go to something? Did you merge a handful of things? And if so, clearly this idea, just in how you said it, that this was incomplete, the clinical approach. So help, because there's folks who are watching here who are, you know, who are in touch and believe in, in you know, a higher power and a, you know, holistic, and there are science buffs who are just like, yeah, what are my neurons firing and how do I program them? So try and, you know, wrap your arms around everyone who's listening and watching right now and help us understand what you believe we ought to, all the tools that are at our disposal and why you left classically uh, psychology as some people think about it. I would say I expand it. Um, expand it. Uh, expand okay. it. Honoring that the mind, um, you know, psychologist being a doctor of the mind, the mind is part. Thoughts are powerful. Our neurons are firing and wiring and our brains are neuroplastic and they can change throughout life. However, expansion, the expanded model is holistic. It does also honor the body and the different physiologies and energies and nervous system states that also impact how our mental wellness is or lack thereof. I also believe that there's an essence, an usness, whether or not we want to throw the more spiritual-based concept of soul or spirit on top of that, though I think a lot of us are tuning into, there is a uniqueness that makes me me, that makes you you. We can call it our passion, right? Our creative purpose. And I believe that that's part of our story too. So what I'm hoping um, that the field does is it expands and it, it embraces for the body more you know, um, body-based uh, tools, more awareness of the importance of, say, things like nutrition and nervous system regulation and sleep um, and ways that our body metabolizes or doesn't around stress. Um, I see a future where in psychology that's necessary because for so many of us, it's the dysregulations in our body that are keeping us stuck um, from creating change. So I'm advocating for a more comprehensive approach, um, again, where we can honor the whole experience of being human, understanding that we are an interactive being that contains a body, a mind, and a spirit or a soul. Where did this come from? Like, you don't just stumble into this overnight, right? You don't just, you're in your clinical practice and you say, you know what, we got to expand this. So, you know, 
where did it come from and why do you believe the things that you believe now? Is it personal experience? Is it research? Is it, um, was it talking to patients and realizing that the, the definitions that we were previously living under were insufficient? Yeah, it was a lot of all of those things. Um, in school, while I was in school, I was learning outside of my clinical program. I enrolled in a psychoanalytic school and I was learning all different tools. Um, to I worked heavily in the substance use field for a very long time. So I was always studying research, looking um, for to be the most comprehensive cl clinician that I could be. So I informed a lot of my early work with with the research that I was uh, presented at that time. And again, it was several years into my practice where very gradually, again, it wasn't a cataclysmic moment where the world was crashing down around me. Um, for me, it was a very gradual descent into what I now know retrospectively or describe as my dark night of the soul. Again, the results for me of the accumulated results physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, of living in that state of disconnect for as long as I was. Um, I felt very unfulfilled, very flat, despite checking all of the boxes, doing all of the things that I thought were going to, you know, arrive me in life. I still felt empty. I felt disconnected. Um, and my body was not sleeping well, was inflamed. I was having all sorts of cognitive symptoms at this point. Um, and so from, if I'm honest, a place of fear, because if you remember, like I described earlier, I had a lot of health-related anxiety in my family. So here I was entering 30 thinking, oh, here's my you know health issue now that I get to deal with. Gratefully, when I went online at that point, my world was blown open. I discovered the science of epigenetics that as I was once taught, the genes that I was born with, that I very much saw reflected in my family's experiences, no longer had to be my destiny. So I began to then dive into literature on the body, learn about nutrition and particularly the role of our gut, um, the role of our nervous system and how that creates, again, our mental world, our emotional experiences. Um, and I began to very slowly create change in my life. Um, and as for the first time in decades, I finally was getting a grasp on my anxiety. I have had anxiety for as long as I can remember. Panic attacks must have painted across my 20s. So being that out of control, I finally began to feel more grounded in my body, more in control of my emotions, and really began to affirm, in my in my opinion, the need, again, to begin to work this way with my clients. Um, and then again, of course, working this way with clients, translating this online, seeing the universal resonance when I created the Holistic Psychologist Instagram account, really were just nods um, from the universe for me, kind of showing me that this was the direction, connecting with other clinicians, other practitioners who had come to these similar awarenesses on their own and were beginning to evolve their practices. Um, I made the decision at that point to, you know, kind of take that hard pivot, shut down my old way of working, my old practice, and began to advocate um, for this holistic model. For those who may be new to the term, uh, could you explain epigenetics? Because there are some folks right now who I think believe and this is natural just based on exposure to new thought-provoking ideas, which is what part of the show tries to do here, um, that they're destined, that they have mm -hmm. the same path that their parents and their parents' parents because they were, mm -hmm. you know, they descended from these people who have X, Y, and Z challenges. But so for those folks who it might be new, can you talk to us about epigenetics for a yeah. moment? And to those people, I, I want to acknowledge how understandable that is because likely you're seeing the same habits, patterns, symptoms, maybe personality characteristics in 
those family members, just like I was, um, because our, our, our genes are impacted by our daily decisions, by our daily lifestyle choices. That's what epigenetics is pretty much attesting that yes, we have genes as I, as the cliche goes, right? Genetics loads the gun. Um, and then the things that we're doing each and every day are what is going to be whether or not the determinant will be the determinant in whether or not the gene is expressed. I begin to get those symptoms or repressed. Now, this is the chicken or the egg uh, thing scenario in some ways, because we do then as a base, as a result of our environments, our decisions, our experiences, our cells change. We do change at a cellular level. So I'll make an argument that we become we, we begin getting impacted by the generations that came before us as early as in utero. Um, so a lot of structural changes can start to be made. So just to use myself as an example, born into a stressful household. My mom probably had elevated cortisol at the time she was carrying me. Her nervous system was probably locked in the sympathetic or fight or flight state. Now, meanwhile, I'm in an infant developing, you know, an embryo in her in her belly. So chances are, right, the impact was beginning so early that it is confusing. It does begin to feel like we're stuck um, because we've had no other experiences for me. Anxiety went back as long as I can remember, being a little girl scared of bumps in the night. So a lot of our experiences do map on to that belief of, well, this is because this is genetically what my, you know, what I was gifted or, or so in life. So again, changes happen as a result of our decisions. In adulthood, now we have choice. Now we can begin to create a new environment, begin to meet perhaps our body's needs, begin to regulate our nervous system in a new way and actually begin now to change the way our genetics are expressing. So when I talk about being, you know, generation breaking generational uh, habits and patterns and, you know, what this work is when we do the work to heal, we really are impacting even our future generations down to the cellular level. Absolutely fascinating. Now, uh, again, I'm seeing this in the comments and I know everybody wants to shift gears to, okay, if I'm broken, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Nicole, fix me, help me. And I like to think you, you, you provide tools through both the Instagram account that you just spoke about and obviously in, in your book, um, start to breadcrumb some of the tools for us. And I know a lot of this is, is anchored in the body, which is you've already made that distinction. Um, but also the words, you know, the most important words in the world are the ones that we say to ourselves. So start to breadcrumb us a couple of tools that you feel like have been the most transformational in your personal journey and that you find are the most, uh, successful, uh, with your patients. The number one foundational tool that I'm, I go on and on endlessly about is creating for many of us or cultivating a new habit of living daily from that prefrontal cortex from a conscious place. Um, again, this isn't the fun work that we all want to do. We all want to dive in and, you know, go to the deepest wound that we might have, that we have to create the basis of found, uh, the foundational basis of consciousness. We have to learn how to be fully present to what is happening um, and shift again from that subconscious autopilot, as we so lovingly know it as, 
into choice because that's what consciousness allows. It allows us to see the habits and patterns, again, that aren't serving us and over time allows us to expand into that space to begin to make new choices. Um, again, that's a limitation that I would come up against time and time again. We have to consistently embody new choices to create change. Thinking about things in a new way can be a helpful first step, though at some point we have to take that next step to embody that choice, to make it essentially, and to then gift maybe our bodies with a new experience or our way of being show up differently in the world. And so many of us struggle to build that bridge. We might know better to an extreme and not be able to do better. And again, the reason why we can't is because by the time that event occurs where I might have my new game plan, I'm already so downshifted into my subconscious mind that all of the emotions are gonna come blazing to the surface and I'm gonna react from that place. So cultivating consciousness, learning how it feels to be present in your physical body in the present moment. For some of us, that means using the hook of our breath, turning our attention from wherever else it is in the world, right? Lost in thought about yesterday, worrying about tomorrow. If you're like me, you don't know where the hell you're at. You're just somewhere else. I call it my spaceship. I'm really disconnected, dissociated, and teaching myself how to be present in my body. Again, hooking my attention on my breath, or maybe using the sensory experience available to me. You can't see, but I have a, a very nice smelling candle right here. So focusing on the sense of smell, right? Touch, the, the desk I have is a little bit um, textured. When I'm hooking my attention on my senses, now again, I'm activating my conscious mind. I'm embodied. The more I practice that, and we do want to practice. We want to fire up those neurons. We want to teach for some of us how ourselves even how to fire up our brain from that prefrontal cortex so that when that next moment comes where I really do want to actualize a new choice, I can make that choice to do so because I can be conscious to the pull of those old habits and patterns and all of the feelings that will be there and begin to actualize a new choice instead of just slipping back into that reactivity. Is it truly as simple as, well, again, awareness, small word, heavy <laughs> lift, right? <laughs> Lots of work to do around being aware of like, oh, I'm doing what my mom does all the time. <laughs> and that's no longer a part of me. If it doesn't serve me, how do, is it really as simple as breath and candles? And, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of speaking tongue in cheek here because it's certainly more complicated than that. But go one level deeper for those of us like, okay, great. I I'm, I'm showing up here. I'm contributing my time. I've already, I just bought your book. It's going to be here tomorrow. Prime me for what I have at my, what tools I have around me. Breath was a very, very clear example. For example, mm -hmm. the, the, the word awareness is a great, but how to breathe and how to think about, you know, what's the sensations that are in your body? Where is it? Where in your body is it locating? Give us a couple of very uh, direct and strategic ways that we can um, become more aware such that we might be able to make a different choice when we're in a, a stressful moment. So the thing I want to say about awareness first um, and becoming conscious is that as, as we do so, you know, as we begin to do new things, such as be conscious, think new thoughts, make new choices, what is inevitable is resistance. Because we don't actually, as humans, like to change. Um, very From a very evolutionary place, um, our subconscious operates based on what I call the familiarity principle. 
if I've been down that road before, according to my subconscious, it's a safer road than the unknown trail to my left. And now here's where people might be thinking, well, that makes no sense. The road I keep going down results in all of these negative consequences in life. However, according to our subconscious, that is what is familiar. So it's preferable because it's imagined to be safer than the unknown. Um, so I say this because as so many of us begin to create change, we do get resistance. We get a million thoughts of why this won't work or why I shouldn't be doing this or why this is a waste of time. Some of us, it might land in our bodies where we just feel agitated in a new way. Maybe we're aware of deeper emotions now because we're more conscious to them. Maybe we just don't feel like ourselves, right? All great reasons to, before we know it, return right back to those familiar ruts and those familiar ways of being. So I like to highlight the inevitable presence of those resistances, whatever it will be for you. Um, and I like to suggest um, that when we see those and when we experience those, that we label it for what it is. We understand that that's part of change because what I've done myself and what I've seen a lot of others do is we take that as now further evidence, right, for why I can't continue on that path, for why that future's, you know, not right for me. Again, for why I'm genetically, you know, stuck in this other way instead of understanding that we're not actually wanting to change. Change is difficult. And again, as we become more conscious, what some of us are met with are the deeper stuff, are the deeper narratives about ourselves. Again, that many of us create it based on our very real lived experiences, oftentimes experiences that we're decades away from, yet we're still repeating them to ourselves. Um, some of us might find deeper feelings that for many of us we've denied or suppressed. The more conscious we become, the more uncomfortable it can be. Um, so as we begin to build our foundation of consciousness, to create that space, to begin to make new choices, as we begin to make new choices, anticipate that there will be resistance. It won't be comfortable. Um, I've been watching the the parts of the book that are coming up in people's stories that they're resonating with. And there's a very a paragraph I wrote essentially around that, that with change comes discomfort. Um, and that seems to be a really popular one coming up. So I just wanted to speak that here because um, I think that's an important thing to note. Change brings up discomfort, A, just simply because we're going down an unfamiliar path that our subconscious would prefer we avoid, and B, because often what many of us are becoming conscious to is painful, is something that we've been avoiding for a very long time. And biology's got a serious role there, right? Its job is to not get you to be yes. uncomfortable. It's yes. um, happiness is not the objective of our biology. <laughs> last time, last time I checked, it was more about survival. <laughs> and so let's go to trauma because whether we want to admit it or not, so many of these, um, so many of our, the things that disconnect us from who we want to be or become, uh, have roots in trauma. And, you know, I'm imagining right now there are a range of people who are watching, listening. Some are saying like, man, I got a lot of trauma from my childhood. And there are others who say, man, I, you know, I grew up, I basically, you know, had a solid family life. I went to school, got good grades. I'm, you know, I'm, but help us understand. And thank you for using us. You use us more than any other professional. And that, that puts you, grounds you, um, in like, these are, these are sheer, these are problems that we've all got. So a, thank you for that. But if I, if I just, I'm imagining, I'm putting myself in so many different people's places right now where maybe I don't feel like I had trauma 
clearly everyone does. And so whether you're in one extreme camp, you live through horrible things as a child or two, you don't, you're not really aware of your trauma, but I'm, I'm guessing that you would say we all have it like, because you're speaking to such a wide range of people, how, how do you, how do you couch trauma and what is it? And, and then how ought we proceed to look at it? So historically, um, the label of trauma has always been applied, um, especially in the field, to an event, right? An event that reaches a certain threshold we label, um, especially in the field, as trauma. Um, Instances of of this trauma that I'm speaking of are, you know, abuse, neglect, physical, sexual, etc. I believe and have seen, and so this was really confusing to me because I too didn't have, when I looked back in my childhood, I, I didn't I didn't see those big glaring moments, those big before and afters where something I knew shifted and changed in my life. I didn't have those. Um, yet working with people who had innumerable big T traumas, who had innumerable negative consequences af- attached to it, I saw a lot of the similar patterning. Um, similar habits in coping, similar habits in habitual ways of being. So for me, again, it was a point first of confusion. Why why am I struggling so much when, quote unquote, nothing happened to me? So what I began to understand um, is that as it's been applied in the field, like I said, the trauma label applied to the event, um, I actually believe it needs to be removed from the event itself and applied to the experience of the event. Because we are all different in our abilities to cope um, with life in general, with the environment around us, the relationships around us. And when we don't feel like we have the support, when we're overwhelmed, either again in one big moment or for most, for more so of us, consistent moments over time, that overwhelm still imprints in the body. And what becomes then more problematic, layers the onion even more around, is the adaptations that then kind of form around those early events. Because what we do very sa- in a very savvy way is just like I was talking about, we avoid, we go down the familiar because it's safe. We do attempt to keep ourselves safe from that, that deep hurt that we once experienced. And chances are what we're doing in all of these modifications, all of these coping things that we try to, you know, adapt to, to keep moving forward, we're removing ourselves further and further from, from ourself in, in a lot of ways. So I talk about an expanded definition of trauma. Um, I introduced the concept of spiritual trauma, the deep human need, or so I feel it to be, to be self-expressed, to be seen, heard, to have the space to just be who I am. And I've seen innumerable humans that, again, because of a lack of safety at an early time or in our earliest relationships, we don't self-express. We modify, we suppress parts of ourself that continue to form our onion that can result in the same habits and patterns of those who had that big cataclysmic moment. So identifying, it doesn't need to as well be about diving into the the hurt or even knowing what it is. It's showing up now in conscious mind and conscious self and observing the habits and patterns that don't serve us into adulthood. Again, creating that same space that we've been talking about to begin to actualize new choices. If you are just now joining us and you're scrolling and you stopped, uh, I'm Chase Jarvis and I'm here with Dr. Nicole LaPera and we're talking about a lot of things, uh, in particular her now number one New York Times bestselling book, How to Do the Work, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past and Create Yourself. Um, I, my entire community, uh, I have anchored on this idea of creating. 
I've got a book about creativity and creativity, not with a small C in art, design, things that people traditionally think of, but create in the capital C. And speaking of patterns and habits, this idea that in cooking a, a meal or using some new ingredients or going outside of your comfort zone in creating with the small C on a regular basis, those are the muscles that we then use to create with a capital C all of the things that we want to be and become in this world, including ourself. Can you talk to me about why you chose to include create in your subtitle? Because that resonated so deeply with me. I was aware of your work before the book. And when I saw that in the subtitle, I was like, yes, we see the world the same way, but I, I want to hear it from you and for people out there who are maybe the, the people who feel stuck, who feel like they're a cork in the tide versus, you know, have some autonomy. Why did you choose to include the word create and what role do you feel like it plays? When we become empowered through the practice of consciousness, when we gift ourselves with consistent choice of how I'm showing up in each and every day and each and every moment, I believe we shift into being powerful creators not only of our worlds, but of ourself, of how I want to show up, of the new ways of being that I want to embody consistently. Um, and again, so when I was describing it earlier, creativity is, is a state of consciousness. And the reason that I was unable to access that for so very long is because of the dysregulation I was living in in my body, because of the dissociation that I was living in around my mind. I wasn't connected to that consciousness. And when we go into alignment in that way, when we're in our conscious mind, we are attuned. We're attuned to our physical body and its needs, giving us the opportunity, gifting us even the ability to meet our needs should we choose it. Same thing with our emotional self, same thing with our spiritual self. And when we're in that consciousness state, we are in alignment and we have access, in my opinion, to our flow and to our power to become a creator. And I very intentionally said, not just to create your world, to create yourself. Because now in that expansive moment of consciousness of choice, I actually get to choose how I respond, what I say, what I don't say, right? And the new ways that I am embodying in the world. So for me, and like I said, just bringing this beautifully full circle, I, didn't, I wasn't born with a creative chip. Um, I didn't identify with being a creator. I had no idea I, I would have walked this journey in life speaking to you um, about accessing my own creativity. And it didn't come until I peeled back the layers and I began to be reconnect with all of that, my interconnected self, my physical, spiritual, and emotional, that then I had access to the state of consciousness that I then do believe allows us to be creators because creation starts with choice, empowered choice. That strikes me as just so key, right? The empowerment part, like so much of the previous universe of, of psychology or talk therapy or genetics rather than epigenetics was this like, okay, now I know, but there's nothing I can do about it versus this empowering um, idea that you are actually charting a course and you can turn things on and off and, um, that's just so inspirational to me. I mean, it, it, it like reeks of just like hardcore emotion for me because it's, we have one, you know, precious, one precious life. Now I want to tie that just empowering feeling that you've just articulated very clearly for us with the fact that we are arguably at a super hardcore moment in our culture's 
or in our lives in the arc of uh of modern humanity we are in the uh late stage of a pandemic where the mental health crises are off the charts people i would throw myself in this bucket who have seen themselves largely as stable and competent and i mean this is my life's work is to direct my creativity towards all the things i want to be and become in the world and yet you know this as an extrovert this has been extremely hard for me and whether you're you know i'm sharing my personal story but whether you're coming from a history of mental illness you know this idea of empowerment is so juxtaposed against arguably one of the toughest times in in human history recent human history to be doing this work what do you see you know the role of your work relative to what's going on not just in a day-to-day -day world where it's tough enough to be and become the things we want to do with all this programming but now we've got this peanut butter spread over everything that is the pandemic help us understand mm -hmm. this juxtaposition right now and um, I'll say that this is why I think your work is so well timed, but just draw a picture for us. So the pandemic at it at its you know minimum at the surface level of it, I mean, it is the universal pattern interrupt, as I say. Lives aren't going on the same. We're not going to work in the same with the same route, going to the same job in the same way. Anytime we're we're not doing the same thing, we're shifted out of autopilot abruptly. Um, this is why transitions generally are hard for most of us humans. Going from a student life to, you know, a career life feels a little jolting for most of us, or single to married. Um, and again, a big reason is because we're going outside of our familiar. And when that's not self-induced, when I didn't make the choice, when the pandemic just came crashing down around us, a lot of us are jolted into that unfamiliar space that, remember, our subconscious doesn't like. Now, of course, even more complicated still, um, pandemic isn't just a pattern interrupt. It's challenging a lot of us at our core senses of safety and security. Those of us that are suffering losses, income, human, et cetera, right, might be unearthing some of this deeper wounding. Furthermore, depending on whom we're home with, what relationships we're now maybe spending more time in or around, again, more complicated still, because a lot of us and all of these patterns we've been talking about are at play in our core relationships, which are the ones that many of us are now spending inevitable or <laughs> too much, way too much time in infinity time. <laughs> infinity time. I, I didn't, couldn't, couldn't figure out what word I wanted to put there, but a lot of time um, around our loved ones. And that can be challenging. So there's a multitude of things um, I think that are coming up in addition to, of course, for some of us more time, more time to, you know, look at ourselves, feel our feelings and all of the above. So many different reasons. Um, we're pretty globally, I think, struggling in different ways, becoming destabilized, and for many of us feeling very disempowered, very out of control, which speaks to even more the importance of regaining stabilization, regaining security. It might not be right external, it might be internal, finding the moment of peace, learning how to be conscious to ourselves, perhaps learning how to harness the intentional power of our breath to help regulate our body, especially when I'm stuck in maybe in a home um, with something that's emotionally activating. We can always find a way to empower ourselves, to find a safe space within. Um, I think that is the invite invitation here now um, is to begin to cultivate those places. One of the biggest reasons why I first went on Instagram aside from wanting to begin to speak this new truth, um, which for me was an exercise in my own healing journey, my second intention was 
to find other humans, find people that were living a similar journey that were resonating with how my new way of being that I was practicing embodying, find my people. Um, so now more than ever, I believe that humans, relationships, for some of us that they exist virtually and maybe not in our immediate communities. And that's why I created the Self Healers hashtag. Um, that's why I offer the Self Healer Circle Healing Membership because community is important. Um, and some of us might not have access to that in our immediate communities where we're now stuck living. Um, so even now more than ever, as much as we want to villainize um, the internet in a lot of ways, for some of us, it, be, it be, can become a gift, a pool of people where we can begin to cultivate new safe relationships. Um, so 2020, all of that it is and all that it continues to be, um, like I said, is so many different challenges for each of us. I think the goal for each of us is to empower ourselves to create safety in one small way, whether that's with a safe human, and again, or whether that's with within ourselves, learning how to cultivate safety in our own bodies. Oh, there is a cacophony on the internet right now. Mm -hmm. Nadia, Srinivas, Radana, Reba, Johnny, Eric, Sarah, Priscilla, Helen, Nico, are they want you to know that they're with you. They're grateful for the work that you do. Um, and it's just, your work is so well-timed. Um, so a, thank you. And I'll, I want to thank you personally, having paid attention to your work for a long time. Um, it feels so, it's just like, it's here at the right moment. Um, so thank you. Uh, I also want to take a moment and, uh, anchor specifically around, uh, one of the tools you just mentioned in your, your, in that last, um, moment there, which was breathing. Um, and I want to bring two pieces of evidence to the table and then set all this uh, in front of you and let you respond specifically around breath. So evidence one is something that you've said, which is you'll know you're in your trauma body when your thoughts are cyclical or obsessive and your heart is racing or you feel so numb. It's like you aren't actually alive. Now dovetailing off of the pandemic and what so many people are going through now, think that that resonates. And then I'm going to share something personally, which is I hadn't been to the doctor in literally like five years. I've been a healthy person, knock on wood, I've had good fortune. And yet I'm like, I probably should like go see a doctor. Just I haven't had a checkup in forever. So over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks, I saw my naturopath and um, a Western doc. And my naturopath, it's a busy time for work. We're in online learning. It's very busy. When I saw my naturopath, my BP was 125 over 95, which is terrifying for me because that's off the charts blood pressure relative to my normal state. And then the next day I went to next day. Yeah, maybe even. Yeah, next day I went to my the, the Western uh, doc and I was aware that my heart was going back to this phrase. My heart was racing. I felt numb. My thoughts were cyclical. And I gave myself 30 seconds in the car before I walked into the doctor appointment. And my blood pressure in that appointment was 110 over, 120 over 75 or something. And not that those are great, but huge change relative to the same moment in the day, just a day before. So I would like you to, in this idea of physical body sensations that are sometimes not helpful or racing or we're, you know, disconnected, spending too much time at home or work is hard or we've lost our job 
and this idea that my personal experience was just in breathing for 30 seconds, I transformed my physiology. Thank so, you for yeah, thank, so thank you for giving me the tools, but that this is so available, just the breath. And yet it seems, uh, hard. It's like something that needs to be mastered. Could you lay out in your framework and the way you think about the breath as a tool for healing, grounding, um, and, and managing so much of what we're going through right now? Is it, is it, is it real? Because it seems like it's so simple. Yeah. It's right there for us. And yet we forget about it. Yeah. The reason why we're talking about um, breath and also heart rate, like you mentioned, Chase, is because those are markers of our nervous system and whether or not it's in a state of activation. Um, anytime anyone is nervous, those of us that have panic attacks, we can identify with, right, my heart starts to increase um, and I am in that panic state. Some of us might not be aware of what's also happening with our breath. Um, when we are activated, when our nervous system is activated, typically what happens is we develop a very shallow way of breathing or we go a step further, um, like I sometimes notice myself doing, we begin to hold our breath. So tuning into our body and its breath and the rhythm that it's breathing from is so incredibly important because most of us, by the time we reach adulthood, are breathing solely from our from our chest space. We've kind of developed into a habit of being a chest-based breather. So two things are really important. Going back to that practice of consciousness, until we know how to become conscious in our bodies, it's very hard to do this. When we do, we want to notice, drop into our body throughout the day and notice what our, our breath rhythm is. What I'll notice myself is as stress escalates, I do do both of those things I described. I either am just breathing very shallowly or I'm holding my breath. And what's happening when we're doing that is we're sending now from our body up messages that I'm still in my stress state. If my breath isn't coming from a full, full calm, deep place, slow, rhythmic breath, my mind thinks my body is stressed and begins to scan. That's why for a lot of us, racing thoughts come right along with body activation. My mind is now looking for what is wrong, and we're pretty savvy at finding what's wrong, even if it's something that happened 25 years ago, right? We can call it to mind, and now I have a reason for why I'm stressed out because I'm thinking of this thing. So throughout our day, um, and that is that is the the caveat here, um, and I think why a lot of us do feel it too simplistic or don't find it being effective, breath work that is, um, and it's because we're not doing it consistently enough. We're not dropped in consciously to our body to, to tune into and to witness what is our body's natural flow in general. Um, and if you do in general notice that you have developed a habit of breathing solely from your chest, a really great practice as I began myself, I had to do so laying down at first um, because with my posture, with my whole body actually started to, to kind of come forward, making it very difficult for me to access my belly. Whether you call it belly breath or diaphragmic, bre diaphragmic breathing, breathing from that deeper space and elongating your out breath can shift us into that calming nervous system, can help us go from fight or flight, our sympathetic response that has right that, that heart rate elevation for a lot of us, the racing thoughts, downshift us. However, one time practicing a deep belly breath isn't going to be enough. We want to consistently be in our body, consistently teach ourselves how to actually calm our nervous system down from that state of activation in real time. So that over time, 
we actually do inhabit a body that's much more peaceful, that can go from stressed back down to not stressed, um, as opposed to being stuck, as many of us are, in either, in either direction. Some of us are stuck in that sympathetic response, always on edge, always waiting for that next shoe to drop. Others are like you described, having an absence of energy. I have nothing. I almost feel dead and numb. For a lot of us, that's indicative of being stuck in the parasympathetic state of having no activation of my sympathetic. So depending on what spectrum you're on, um, breath work can be incredibly important because we can also right activate by doing the more Win Hof type method of breathing that stimulates our sympathetic. So knowing what your body's typical breath pattern is can give us the clues to whether or not you're someone who's living in that nervous system dysregulation. And if you are, um, it would be incredibly helpful to help your body out, to help it return back to that baseline. Because that baseline, that peaceful state, is what translates to that receptivity, that flow that access to the consciousness and ultimately the creative essence that you and I have been talking about. I want to uh, ask if let's just say that there's, there's two moments. One is like, you need to calm your nervous system down. It's overactivated. It's heightened for so many of the reasons we've talked about. And I imagine, well, that's one thing. And the other one would be the opposite. If you're sort of, uh, um, you're not activated, you're sleepy, feeling numb, just for the sake of, of application here, let's just, let's go for the first one. Could you give us 90 seconds? Cause I'm imagined right now, if people are listening to this and they're stuck in traffic as on their yeah. commute, they're, you know, they're sitting on a park bench right now uh, in the middle of a walk, thinking about all the things that, that they have to do. And they're, we've got their attention right this moment. Can you give us just uh, take 90 seconds and give us an exercise that we can do to get in touch with that, that belly breath or that, the the kind of breath that is meant to calm us down the one that's always available for us of course we need to train it but would you just give us a sample of that yeah absolutely so if you can whether you're sitting you can lay down become comfortable if if you're not driving of course you can maybe place a hand um, on your belly area and then we're going to just take a nice big deep breath in and intentionally making sure that we're flowing the breath down to the belly so that we actually feel, right, our, our hand expand, feel our belly expand. So breathing down deep. And like I said, some of us out there, if we can, might want to lay down. Um, it can give us a bit more access. And then once our belly is filled up like a balloon, nice, slow, controlled out breath. To begin, doesn't matter if we're going in or out of the mouth or vice versa, um, whatever is most comfortable. Um, really, we, we really just want to teach our body this new, this new deeper breath. Um, so don't worry if you're out there doing this, attempting this, and it feels difficult. Um, like I said, those of us who carry a lot of stress might even be reflecting it in our posture, like I know I am. And the reason why I keep highlighting the posture is, right, the more forward and compacted we are, the more difficult it is to breathe from that belly area. So practice um, is going to be incredibly important. And what I would do outside of laying to practice, I would walk around or when I was sitting in session, when I used to see clients, every now and again, I would just have my hand near my belly to just kind of test and to just remind myself to breathe down deep into that space. And once we, you know, get proficient at that, get efficient at that, to to make it a point to to build in those conscious check-ins, maybe to use your phone 
and set an alarm for a couple of times during the day. And when that alarm goes off to do that kind of breath-based check-in, how's my breath right now? And if in the instances it is very deep and shallow, we can pop the hand on the belly, take maybe three, five, just deep belly breaths, again, inflating like a belly and uh, like a balloon, and then nice and slow out. And then notice, notice any shifts or changes like you did in your energy before that doctor's appointment. Don't imagine that it's gonna happen overnight. Don't imagine you're gonna go from a, a 10 of stress to a zero with four deep belly breaths, probably not, but just notice. And the more you consistently use these tools, tune into your breath and then harness the power of that calming belly breath, the more you're gonna balance your nervous system. Incredible. In service of this, this really tangible advice, I wanted to take a couple of questions from the community uh, who are, again, there's so many comments, I'm struggling to uh, mm -hmm. keep up with them. But I, I, there's two in particular that I flagged here. Uh, and they come, I think they're, uh, one is more extreme, but the, the one I'm going to start with is from Deep Diver here on YouTube. And it's, can you heal yourself from autoimmune diseases without harsh Western medicine techniques? I have switched, Deep Diver says, I have switched from Western exercises to Qigong now after feeling numbness in my left leg. What advice would you give? I know you are a doctor, but what, what advice would you give this idea between Western and Eastern? And I mentioned earlier seeing my naturopath and the Western. Mm. If someone's like Deep Diver is suffering from autoimmune diseases yeah. and considers some of the techniques that they're learning from Western medicine to be harsh. Yeah. How can can you articulate a, a viewpoint here for us? Yeah, and and again, acknowledging you know everyone's individual preference for what path they go down, or you know what tools they take from what Western or, or Eastern modality. I mean, again, this is what I'm offering in terms of self healing, finding the tools that work and resonate for each of you. Um, I think that's an, an a definitely an important statement that I want to make. Um, autoimmune diseases are are often a function of again stress. Um, our body's stress reaction um, and the effect that it then has on our immune system. So something I will share for those of you who will pick up my book, um, who perhaps have heard me share about this particular self-healer. Um, she's very near and dear to my heart. Her name is Allie. Um, and Allie met my work uh, about a year and a half ago, again, online, and began um, at, at a time actually when she was suffering really debilitated symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Um, she was couch bound. Her, her and her family were getting ready to look at um, possible facilities to move her in. Um, and she began her healing journey with one glass of water beginning to create change in her life. Of course, it wasn't one glass of water that created change in terms of all of her symptomology, though building in new lifestyle habits. Um, changing and refocusing on her nutrition, refocusing on how stress affects her body and how she could better manage it. Um, Allie is now in remission of those symptoms. So again, I share her story. It is her, her journey. She speaks of it often on Instagram. Um, again, autoimmunity, our body, a lot of times the, the symptoms that we're struggling are a reaction to stress and our body's inability um, to deal with it and to tolerate it. So whatever path you're going down, if you are someone who is you know, diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, this is, again, don't take my suggestion. Don't walk Allie's journey because it worked for her. Um, again, the goal here is to empower yourself uh, to find the tools and to find the journey that, that works for each of you. Thank you. And the other question that came in from Radana uh, is a little bit more on the extreme side, which is I grew up surrounded by trauma. 
And I always made the choice slash decision that I would never, ever allow myself to make, quote, bad decisions. And I'm proud of being strong and changing my family history, but now realizing that this has affected me in other ways. I look forward to doing the healing and the work. How, what advice would you give to someone who's now realizing that this stuffing it down has was probably effective for some period of time. And again, for those who have had trauma in their childhood, that you did what you needed to do to get through, but now starting to starting to realize that that does not come without consequence. Where would you start someone, in addition to obviously getting the book, which a lot of people here are saying they're, they're picking up the book, but for someone who was surrounded by trauma, what's step one? Step one, and this is this is a process step, um, as as most are, is my suggestion being, of course, to cultivate compassion for yourself because you are you are right, Chase. You know, very very much so. Um, the habits and patterns that might not be serving this this person who asked this question were an adaptation, were the best attempt um, at coping with that very early traumatic environment. And the reason why I say compassion here is twofold. Um, in addition to me hearing, you know, the judgment, the bad decisions, right? I think this kind of is emblematic of a lot of us. We all sit in judgment of ourselves first and foremost. Um, so compassion can be such an an integral uh, practice in healing, because as we become, like we've been talking about, as we become more conscious, as we truly see our way of being and all of you know the results and the effects that that has on the world around us. Um, a lot of feelings can come to the surface. And typically what most of us do is we sit in judgment of those feelings. We sit in judgment of how we attempted to cope for so long and again, the world that it's created around us. So in that space, this is a practice, which is why I said it's a process. Um, I don't just offer to be compassionate and you hear this and now you're compassionate. You have to practice being compassionate with the self. So as you're beginning um, your healing journey, the the person who asked that question, and as you begin to become more conscious, my suggestion is to continue to cultivate compassion around what you see, understanding that it was your survival, it was your best attempt, and now commending yourself even for gifting yourself the opportunity to begin to create new choices and, again, a new future that looks different from that past. So much wisdom is at the hashtag self-healer, which is part of uh, your platform. Um, I want to thank you so much, uh, Jennifer Maloney, just thanking you so much for this beautiful content, for sharing. Um, again, I want to remind folks that you've got a new book that's out. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's called How to Do the Work, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past, and Create Yourself. Congratulations. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, and before we uh, sign off, I've got a last question. And it's very much, I've heard you say this before. I want to read something that, that you said, um, and get you to comment on it. Cause I think it's a nice bow for us to put on our conversation today. And you said, quote, this is a very important time of waking up to the reality that we need a collective healing. It's not something we can outsource to anyone else. Though of course, professionals can be a help on our journey. We need to be active participants in our own healing, or these numbers will just continue to rise. I'm wondering if you can comment on that and send us off onto a, into an incredible weekend 
uh, of reflection and contemplation and hopefully action towards taking care of ourselves. Well, I love this this bow, Chase, because um, it sounds very similar to this idea of collective healing to the, the final chapter uh, in my book, which is called Interdependence. Um, the process of self-healing, peeling back all of these layers to become consciously aware right, of who we are and to begin to embody um, that person in the world is how I believe collective healing happens, is how we become more connected to those around us and, and the world really itself. Um, so collective healing is necessary, and I do believe it comes when we as individuals change, when we begin to show up differently, because that change ripples outward. It changes the way we experience and the way relationships around us are experienced. It changes the way we are experienced in our communities and, and even further out. Um, so I very intentionally, like I said, ended the book um, with that journey back into community, um, into community in a full, authentic, whole self way, one in which we can connect um, to our creativity, to our self-expression. And that is how I believe that the collective changes. And like I said, I, I see us all waking up to this. I think that's a big reason why the Instagram account became so universally resonant so quickly, um, because we're all ready. Um, and like I said, my belief is that global change happens when a lot of humans, like all of you out there listening, begin to show up differently in the world. We actually change the world. <laughs> So true. I'm seeing a lot of comments. Just bought the book, bought it. Marissa says, bought it with some hearts. Thank you so much for showing up for our community today, for helping us create the living lives uh, and journeys that we want for ourselves. Your work, again, I just, for those folks who aren't uh, subscribed to your Insta handle, it's the.holistic.psychologist. Last count, three and a half million people, seemingly overnight, that you have tapped into uh, an important body of work, you've created a body of work and tapped into this moment in time is not a surprise to me. Your work is incredible. Thank you so much for, um, for giving us the gift of your work. Where would you send people aside from getting the book? Uh, anything else you'd like to share with the community, any places you'd like to direct our attention? We're really good at helping authors get their word out there, but just if you can enlist us, if we're here to impart, serve you and your work, where would you steer us? What can we do to help? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I just want to thank everyone out there for for listening, for opening your mind again to some of this for many of us is new, challenging um, ideas outside of the book, um, which I do suggest hearing how international I know my community is quite international too. Um, everyone out there who is in a different country who might have a different native language, definitely give a Google. Um, there's a lot of international rights that were sold out there. So you might even be able to pick up this book in your native tongue, which thrills me to no end. So definitely check that out. Um, other ways, uh, the self-healer circle that I mentioned can find out information on my website, theholisticpsychologist.com. I have a YouTube channel myself. For those of you who are interested in YouTube, I'm launching a new podcast, The Self-Healer Soundboard. So lots to keep connected. Um, I'm always shouting out the self-healer community. Like I said, we heal in community and there are such amazing humans that are doing such amazing work in their world. So my parting wish for each of you is to do the work of healing and to begin to create change in your own communities. If, if one person um, goes out there and embodies a new way of being, that is, that is what this is about for me. So my suggestion is to do the work and then to go create, to go create whatever it is that your heart is telling you is your journey here on this earth. Um, that's what self-healing is all about, in my opinion. 
Well, whether it's uh, until next time or uh, whether you're just going to go right into the next podcast or video, I want to thank everyone in the world for tuning in. Uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera, thank you so much for being a part of this community, for being a leader for us to follow. And uh, uh, for everyone out there, I bid you adieu. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests uh, in, in search results on each of the platforms. And it means a lot. So thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, hopefully soon, maybe next, maybe right after this, maybe you're going to listen. Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you.